I really would have loved to commit to Linux, but it was missing this key feature that I needed, and so I was stuck on Windows and stuck with dual booting. All right, we are here, episode two uh, of the Opinion Dominion, and following up, more follow-ups of our self-coverage, uh, we had some fun audio problems at the beginning, and I shared my, my wonderful Pulse Audio, a little meme of all of the, the flowchart of how to determine whether or not your sound problem is Pulse Audio related, um, and Jeff found that entertaining. And we got to talking and he decided, hey, we should talk about sound stuff. And I said, that sounds like a great plan. We should definitely talk about sound stuff. So Jeff, talk about sound stuff. Yeah, so uh, I laughed actually a lot about the Pulse Audio thing because historically, when I want to demonstrate to someone what an overcomplicated system is, I will show them the diagram from Wikipedia on the Pulse Audio page. And it looks like a nightmare. It's like 12 different systems that are all kind of interrelated and subsystems here and this interacts with that. And then all there's all these other pieces that are in a completely different computer that we're supposed to also interact with. And just looking at it makes your eyes glaze over. And so when we're talking about failures in audio, Pulse Audio is, is high up there, but it's not the worst. Uh, going back into the 90s, it was actually considerably more difficult. Pulse Audio was a major improvement over what we used to do Back in the dark ages of Linux sound, we'll say, um, we had the open sound system, which was clunky but worked kind of, and then its successor clone, maybe some people would say, also. And somewhere in the middle, back in the 90s and early 2000s, that's where we had to live. We had to deal with both of them. Uh, what's entertaining to me was somewhere around 2002 or 2003, open sound system became not open. It actually went proprietary. Some fool company, uh, I looked it up, named Forefront Technologies decided, oh, we want to buy this and we're going to try and make money off of this. So they actually took the open sound system and made it not open. And I find that very entertaining. I kind of wanted to cover this early phase because maybe people, a lot of our listeners haven't had this experience because by now sound in Linux just kind of works and it works pretty well. Actually, we don't really think about it. It works just as well as in Windows or on Mac. It wasn't always that way. So I'm kind of curious. Uh, JT, about your early experiences with sound on Linux. What was the first time you tried to play like music or interact with sound in a meaningful way in Linux? When when did that happen? So that's a very that's a very good question. Um, because I pretty much always had a, a machine that was a Linux machine, and then my other machine that I would do for other stuff. So when I first got into Linux, you know, the Linux machine was just something to toy around with, something to tinker with, something to to learn on. But it was never, I have to get everything working on this. Um, because I didn't, for that, at least the beginning, I didn't even know it was possible. So, like, oh, it could do sound? Probably didn't have a clue about that. Um, so, early sound for me would have probably been the late 90s. Um, probably one of the times when I installed OpenSUSE. And was, you know, just trying to get to play some, some basic MP3s or some waves or who knows, maybe even some old MOD files. Maybe that was what I was trying to play. Oh, wow. Old school. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like I didn't really mess around with, with much media on Linux for quite a while. Uh, I had, uh, you know, anytime I wanted to watch a movie, it wasn't on the computer. It was on the TV. I had, well, not really a TV. It was an old Commodore 64 monitor that had RCA inputs. 
And ah, yes. I yeah. would actually, I had a DVD player, standalone DVD player that had RCA outputs. So that was how I watched, you know, TV, TV shows and, and movies and stuff was on that. So I never really bothered to do any of that until much, much later. So I, you know, for listeners that are like, oh, well, I wasn't around back then. So I don't really know what it was like. Well, I was around back then and I don't know what it was like. So you're going to have to, you're going to have to educate me too. Oh, well, well, that's uh let me let me educate you and everybody else that it was terrible for a while there. Um, open sound system was built to to be the sound system across many Unices. It was designed to be very POSIXy, which meant uh, everything was uh, file based. You would open a file and write to it if you wanted to make a sound in the system. You would open a file and read from it if you were trying to capture input, and it was it worked. It was just somewhat clunky. Uh, this ended up sometimes you would only well, for a long time you'd only be able to play one thing at a time. So if you had a desktop environment that made funny noises, because that's fun, and you also were trying to play an MP3 at the same time, guess what? Only one of those worked. If your MP3 was running, sometimes the desktop environment would cut in and play its sound, and then you wouldn't get your MP3 back again. And we had a lot of challenges like that with open sound system. Now, also what's better, it was kind of an enhancement originally to help overcome the shortcomings of open sound system. It was also one of the earlier days, I think, when... Uh, the Linux community decided, you know what, we don't need to stick with what all the other Unices are doing on this front. We can go do our own thing and we can do it better. So here we go. That's uh, common now, but it was less common. There was a little more synergy between Linux and the Unices in the 90s than we have now. So also was kind of, it was a Linux only thing, as I recall. And you could do multiple output streams at the same time. You could play your desktop environment sounds and your movie or and your mp3 and it all just kind of worked not only that you could do surround sound which god forbid open sound system could never do i have very distinct memories of also also having the same problems though of oh you want to play two sounds at the same time mm, maybe maybe you can do that maybe it depends on if you're using it are you using it in uh emulation mode because also would emulate what open sound system offered and then also had its own way of doing things too, because it was trying to be backwards compatible as much as possible. Like I said, it was supposed to help overcome the shortcomings, and some programs were only compiled against the open sound system libraries, so they only knew how to use that. Uh, I think Winamp, whatever the, the crossover Winamp, I think it was XMMS for a long time. Um, I remember it didn't really work all that great with ALSA. I might be misremembering the software there, but... It just really, it, you it expected open sound system. A lot of programs back then expected open sound system. And so also had to emulate that. I should also bring up that Pulse has the same problem. And that's part of what caused it to go, oh, I'm going to try and support all these other standards that are already out there. I think we've alluded to the XKCD uh, competing standards comic quite a lot. I think Pulse was designed to create a new standard that would encompass all the other standards and then doing so created just another competing standard. And we might cover Pulse Audio more later because there's a lot of fascinating things to explore there. But I can remember back in the 90s, uh, several times I tried to go full-time on Linux and that meant if I was gonna watch a movie or something, because all I had was my computer, I didn't have a TV like you, you were cosmopolitan there. If I was gonna watch a movie, I had to get sound working. If I was gonna listen to music, I had to have sound working. And it didn't just need to work, it needed to work well, so. It wasn't just enough that I had an open file handle that was playing music. It should be stereo because sometimes uh, you would get just one stream and just be the left channel of the audio. And that's not very good when you've got a movie with audio that moves from left to right, like most movies do these days. So there was a lot of challenges around in that. And 
it just seemed to me that we couldn't get it right for a long time. I don't really know what it was that was taking so long to evolve audio in general, but from like 98 to 2003, it felt like we got nowhere. And maybe they were just redoing it in the background and I didn't see it, but I just felt like five years or six years of me trying to run Linux full time, trying, struggling with audio and never really getting anywhere. And I felt like, well, surely there's got to be a better way. And that was actually one of the things that drove me back to using Windows full time, probably around 2000 for a year and a half or two years, because I was wanting to play video games and the sound didn't work. I wanted to play music and movies. The sound didn't work right. And that was a big impediment to me adopting Linux full time in the early days. And I mentioned that several of our listeners, you know, three or four of them have had similar experiences where I really would have loved to commit to Linux, but it was missing this key feature that I needed. And so I was stuck on Windows and stuck with dual booting. Uh, for me, it was sound. And I expect that I'm not the only one that had that challenge. But I also know there are ways to overcome it if you are willing to invest. For instance, if you were wanting to get also to work and you were willing to recompile your programs, a lot of times you could take something that was only OSS aware and recompile it against the also libs and it would work. It required a little bit of hacking, not much, but it required you to know what you were doing. It required you to be willing to dive into code and make minor changes, but you're making changes to code bases. That didn't work if you're trying to run a game like through Wine or something, you couldn't recompile that. So you were stuck with that. Um, so there were ways to make it work, but there was also the shortcomings of every time you rebooted, also would forget what your volume was. So you'd start your computer again. You're like, wait, I thought I fixed this last time. What happened? Oh, right. It's muted again. And sometimes when you go to the mixer, the also mixer and unmute things and it would say, oh yeah, you're unmuted and it would still be muted in the background. So all that is to say, there were a ton of shortcomings in sound in those days and we have come a long way since then. I actually, I lost track of what's happening in sound. I, it got to the point where I didn't need to follow it closely anymore because it just worked. At that point, that made me very happy. Uh, so, so here's a question for you. Um, go ahead. Not to put you on the spot, but why not? Um, for explain for everyone, where did Jack fit into all this? I believe Jack was supposed to be the oriented more towards the professionals. Like we're trying to record multiple streams through a breakout box and we want to get them in. It seems like Jack was what ACO ended up being. Jack wanted to be that. Now it's still around and still being used to connect to some of these more proprietary devices, I believe. Um, I never really used it. Okay. So I don't have a lot of background in it. I just knew it was around and people that needed it really needed it. So I guess I can't, I can't fill in more information than that. I would love to hear more from someone else who dad did have experience with it because I would like to know more. I remember when I was trying to figure out some of my also situations of trying to do different inputs and outputs and it kind of going crazy. Every time I searched for it, I would get information about, oh, you need to use Jack and you need to do this, this, this. And then eyes would start to glaze over and it's like, <laughs> yeah. I just yeah. want to do this simple thing. And this yeah. seems like this is not the way to go. I mean, maybe it, maybe it would have solved my problem, but it just seemed, um, it seemed to be like one of the things that you enjoy, which is let's take a simple problem. Now let's overly complicate it. <laughs> and then let's try to come up with an elegant solution that, that, that fixes all the problems. You're right. I do like that. Um, but I also like something that is attainable and doesn't require me to invest nine months of effort in to get right. Uh, it's one of the things that stops me from investing some of the deeper like, uh, open source projects out there. Because like, in order to be able to reasonably supply patches of this, I need to be built into the code base and know where things are. And because you know, each code base has its own flavor and feel and, and its own history. And you, you must 
work within the confines of the expectations of that code base, we'll say. And so I like complicated problems, yes. I like solutions that are elegant where possible, but also allow flexibility of, of features. But sound stuff, I spent a lot of time in the early days learning about how it all worked forcibly, and it really would make me irritated. Oh, several times it made me quit using Linux full-time. Like I would keep it around because I, I always wanted to have Linux with me, but uh, I was like, I'm not using this for now. I'm mad at you. We're on the outs. Honestly, it made it hard to do anything fun because a lot of the fun stuff you want to do has sound involved. You know, Tux Racer. When did Tux Racer land? In the mid-2000s? Oh, gee, I don't even know. No, it's just older than that, isn't it? It was uh, one of the early OpenGL proofs, I believe. And it had sound. And it didn't work when I tried it the first time. I was mm -hmm. like, I want to play this game. You could you could race without the sound, but it's kind of you're missing some of the experience. What's what's right? You know. So what's the point? It just really took a lot of the fun out of it. I do remember sometime in the like the mid two thousands, it was expected up until then you would have your own standalone sound card. So there was also some challenges with not only did you have this sound system that sometimes worked and sometimes didn't. You also had to support all these different cards and drivers, and they were. Mostly the same, but they had some major differences. So Sound Blaster was different than a EMU 18K or whatever it was. And then somewhere around Intel Core, Core 2 days, that's when Intel HD Audio started showing up on every motherboard. Do you remember that? I think it was like 2005 or 2006. Yeah, that sounds And all right. of a sudden, we all had the same exact hardware. We had the exact same audio. We had the exact same interface, and it was very easy for it to work as long as you used the Intel Core Audio. Uh, almost overnight, Sound Blaster disappeared, or maybe it didn't disappear, but it fell out of my consciousness. It no longer mattered anymore. Yeah, there are some Intel issues with sound that are still kind of lingering. Um, I'm not sure exactly the source. I know with uh, with Trident on ThinkPads, we actually have to do a, I think we have to blacklist a module or something to get it to work properly. I don't know why that is. Um, it might be a sys... What year is this? It, I know. It might be a syscontrol. I need to look it up again, but it's, it's common on a bunch of different systems. I have to do it on both my ThinkPad and on my Asus uh, motherboard for my desktop workstation. Huh. So you think it's an Intel thing, or is it... Because if you're having a two different platforms, that would imply... I guess, because, I mean, the system... I mean, obviously a ThinkPad, the audio inside is Intel. Like, it's not mm -hmm. like it's anything else. So all right, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's all they got. So, yeah, I'm not... I'll, I'll have to look up and see if I yeah, can... Yeah, I'm curious to hear about down, that. And maybe we can cover that in a later episode. Um, so about Pulse Audio, um, we oh, kind of touched boy, on it. Yes. We kind of touched on it a little... Um, I mean, it, it is a complex thing, as you mm -hmm. mentioned before. It is very, sound is very difficult to get right. First off, do you know what Pulse Audio was originally called? Uh, Poly P Audio or something like that? Yep. Yeah, but then, uh, then it got renamed because people pointed out that that was, uh, I think it was a medical condition as well. <laughs> and, okay. <laughs> yeah, it, I remember Leonard putting out a, a blog post saying, you know, I've renamed it. I actually named the project after, I think it was like a submarine or something. Mm -hmm. But, uh... But yeah, then he then he changed it to false audio. Uh, but yeah, he if memory serves, he had started that in two thousand four. That sounds right. It wasn't long after OSS went proprietary, and I feel like we were struggling with a lot of things. And he was like, "We can do better." Yeah, which I admire in him. He's he often says, "Oh, that's terrible. We can do better." And he firmly believes it. And he just goes and starts doing it, doing it, doesing. I did I did find a, a blog post of his from two thousand seven. Um, where it was at a uh, a conference um and he actually mentioned that you know to his surprise pulse audio was well received by everyone so that perhaps his pessimism was was a little too strong 
And it's just, it's like, that's entertaining because people always act as if, you know, he came steaming in, like, this is the answer, you will take it, which isn't the case. I mean, he was working on this and he was like, hey, this is an option. And a lot of people are involved now because it, there needs to be a good sound solution on Linux. Mm -hmm. And I th it's a good place to start from. It had some serious flaws. Yeah, I don't know if it's design flaws. I never really dove into it. I just... The, you know, like I alluded to at the beginning of the episode, that the diagram that I used to, I just felt like sound is like you're saying deceptively difficult to get right. You think it's just it's a bit stream, and as long as I send it to the right location, you know, using the right access or DMA or whatever, everything will be fine. But it's not easy, and especially not easy when you're trying to also support things like network streams. Because I remember back in the day, all we had to do to stream network sound, we think we had a um, not network block device. There was another. Um, in sound or something like that. And you could, you know, so it was a simple routing the bits across the network naively and hoping they arrive at the other end and then shoving the bits that was received from this listen port into the uh, output file for OSS and hope it works. And that's what we had. I understand that he's trying to make everything a lot better. I mean, not just he, but the people that are all working on Pulse. But the initial problems were the latency was so bad. It was almost a second of latency at, at some point. And when that's the default install, and you're trying to watch a video and the video is out of sync with the audio for a second, you're like, these defaults are dumb. And so many times I can remember helping someone at the lug with sound problems and we would just get to the point where, okay, just uninstall Pulse and then let's try and troubleshoot from there. And 60% of the time uninstalling Pulse, things started working. Now you lose the benefits of Pulse, but I would rather have sound that works reasonably well than sound that's terrible, but I can listen to across the network and interface with nine other systems. I just want it to work. I don't want to have to think too hard about it. It's it's an intrinsic thing that has been working fine in Windows since the 90s, early 90s. It was not a challenging thing. It was just, it just worked. Well, yes, but there's also a whole lot of, uh, how do I say this? Simplicity in the design of Windows, which allows for things like that, which also allow for a whole lot of other bad things as well, because That's true. there are not segment, you know, segmentations and divisions between very important bits. Right, that makes yes, yeah, I agree with that, and I I don't have any good way to explain it other than they cut corners, and I was okay with it because I didn't know about the corners, and it just worked. But I guess if I had really dug down into the battles of how they did sound. Because yeah, I did some other digging, like the NT Landman pass the hash kind of stuff. I was like, they really, this is, they decided the, how they wanted to do this authentication scheme. That's dumb. What else is in here that's dumb that we can find and exploit? And I never really got to the point of looking in sound because it wasn't exploitable, I guess, is what I decided back in the day. But I, I guarantee you that they cut those corners. They, they, the security was lax and it was a lot easier to shuffle around sound streams because they weren't having to worry about progeny and is it coming from the right place is the permissions right do you even have the ability to uh, write to this sound device that was another thing if you even in a modern distribution if you roll up and then in the installer that asks you to create a user you look at the groups that that user is in you'll see ones like plug dev or audio because that was you know one of the ways you get around these more strict security expectations of linux is the person must belong to the right group and the device file itself will be owned by that group and that's how you make it work. So you can have unprivileged users on the system without access to sound. And that's how we've gotten around some of these challenges. Do you know if there are special like SE Linux policies for sound? Uh, I'm, I'd never even thought about that until now, but I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are. I don't know what they would be, but probably so because I'm sure the NSA guys are playing audio somewhere and they want to make <laughs> sure that only the right people are playing audio. 
I'm sure that's happening. Yeah. Well, I could talk endlessly about all these. It seems like I would, I would love to hear what our listeners, if they had problems like I did with sound, because it would make me feel less alone. <laughs> to be honest, because you're like, oh, I didn't have that problem. I had a TV. I'm sure some of you listeners out there had the same problems I did. I'd love to hear about them because we can commiserate together how bad sound used to be. So reach out to us. Let us know. Send us an email. Maybe uh, share some of your tales, and we'd love to share them maybe on here and kind of go through them all together and commiserate together, we'll say. Yeah, misery loves company. Oh, absolutely. Please bring on the misery. Wait, no, no. Yes, bring, Jeff wants all the misery. So send bring, bring all on the, the misery, anecdotes. Send all the misery in for uh, for Jeff. He will appreciate it. Misery or not, share with us. I'd love to hear your tales because uh, I, I find this kind of history stuff, you know, fascinating. To be honest, no. That sounds like a good spot to end. I think so. So we're just going to end. So thank you for listening. Uh, send us your thoughts, your replies, your love, your hatred, whatever. Send it our way, and uh, hope you enjoy this episode.